Good evening, everyone, and welcome to your Scribes Journey with the Three Scribes, Season 1, Episode 2, The Hero's Journey. I am Travis Crokin, the Calm Scribe, and I'm being joined with my fellow scribes. I'm LJ Stanton, the Pedantic Scribe. And I am T.R. Albee, the Oddball Scribe. How are you all doing tonight? How are you both tonight? I was going to go with excellent, but I use that word far too often, so I'm doing well. I am surviving uh, and, and doing okay. So, you know, could be a lot worse. All right. So we are back. And the book of the month that we had for last month was The Hero's Journey, Monomyth by Joseph Campbell. What did everyone think? Ted, what are your thoughts on The Hero's Journey or The Monomyth by Joseph Campbell? Um, I thought it really delved into a lot of psychology. He does have some very, I guess, I would say interesting hardline opinions on the role of women and fiction. I mean, it was okay. We'll be honest, I didn't read all of it because it was kind of hard to get through. But that's just me. It's a very dense book and very much a book of its time, wouldn't you say, Eldra? Yeah, I completely agree with with Ted. It's not really a writing instruction manual. So if you're trying to get something like that out of it, you won't. Uh, but it is a really interesting look at the fact that the monomyth is something that kind of be found all over the world, which is really interesting about how universal story structure can be. But unfortunately, you do have to deal with Joseph Campbell being a bit racist, how he talks about cultures that are not white, or some of even the concepts to his hero's journey monomyth that are quite outdated as far as how they view women's role in fiction. It's interesting. We read it. You don't have to, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's more of an anthropological dig into storytelling and how it's been yes. done across the centuries, across the world, and a comparison of the surprisingly numerous connections and parallels from all cultures, all different things around the world. And yes, done with a dash of misogynism and racism tossed in for lack of better terms. I mean, let's call it what it is. It is a yeah. book of its time. And like LJ said, we did read it, so you don't have to. But I think, again, it's like in anything in writing, if you're doing outlining or anything you're doing, knowing where you're coming from, knowing the rules, knowing the structures, allow you a better understanding of how everything functions, how everything works, and gives you a better ability to break those rules, especially when they come to the isms that we don't want to be dealing with in our writing. So to get into that, what is the hero's journey? How would we describe what the hero's journey is without actually getting into the full structure of it, which we're going to do in just a moment? Uh, well, I would say the summary of it is that it's a plot outline structure that's generally broken down into three different acts that follows your hero and has a set of general beats that are hit as far as your plot and character growth. So it is following your hero on his journey or her journey through your plot, making it hopefully back home at the end. From simple protagonist to hero at the end and all the ups and downs and tests and trials and things that go along with it. Uh, this one, I'm not a huge, huge fan of the monomyth structure. There's parts of it of the defeat of the father and other aspects that I don't think really fit into all of the stories. And this version is 17 parts. But Ted, there's another version of this story structure that's not done by Campbell, isn't there? That's a, it's only yeah. 12 steps instead of 17. Yeah, Christopher Vogler, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, but he actually took it and created a book called The Writer's Journey. Um, which is based off the monomyth, but he condensed it right into 12 steps and three acts, even though Campbell didn't really call them acts. They were 
called something different, but he broke, Vogler broke it into three acts and 12 different speeds that is common across a lot of different movies and books and TV shows. Exactly. And so it's the hero's journey is more in writing circles you're, is what you're going to hear about rather than the monomyth. You will hear the monomyth, but a monomyth is, I would personally say a monomyth factors in more if you're writing an epic. If you're writing a novel or a novella or something like that, the hero's journey is going to fit what you're doing more. If you're writing a very large epic story, then the monomyth has all the meat that you could ever want to sink your teeth into. I feel like the monomyth is a better tool for critical thinking and critical consideration of a novel. So when you are reading something, it's a, a useful tool to be like, oh, hey, I think we just crossed this threshold or we did whatever. It's helpful as an evaluation tool. I don't think it's helpful as a writing guide because of the fact that you do have to deal with so much of the racist crap and misogynistic crap. But when you boil it down to the the hero's journey, Vogler's hero's journey, you're getting really excellent beats with very little extraneous information for how to design an epic hero's journey for your character and for your plot. Yes. And it's it's just cleaner. It's distilled. It's a simple structure to go through. But again, learning them and learning how they work is a great way, as LJ said, of breaking down something that you're looking at. And as we all believe, when you take in media, be it a book, a novel, a television show, a movie or anything like that, it's a great idea to consume it the first time for pure enjoyment and to maybe take a second or a third attempt at looking at it and then do the writer's craft, the screen craft of breaking it down. What were the story beats? What did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? When did they cross the thresholds? So again, understanding that is an important thing. It's a key thing to improving your writing. However, on that note, just because the Hero's Journey monomyth was the book of the month does not mean that we are going to be breaking down the Hero's Journey monomyth. Uh, we have all come to a consensus that we are going to break down the more distilled and easier to understand Vogler's version, the modern Hero's Journey. So let's jump into this now. The first part of the Vogler edition or the modern hero's journey is going to be your act one. And that's considered the departure. And it's going to make up approximately 25% of your story. Uh, I say approximately because these are all guides. You don't need to be exactly, but you don't want to have the first part taking up 15%. They're really good guideposts and beats to go along. So in this section, in act one, you're going to start the story with the ordinary world. The ordinary world is your opportunity as a writer to make the reader care to hook the reader in and to have them give a damn about what happens to your protagonist. If you don't have a well-developed protagonist, if you don't have a protagonist that people can connect with and empathize with, doesn't matter what adventure you've got them going on with. So the first step is ordinary world or beat one is ordinary world. And that's where you're going to show the protagonist in their daily life. An example of what their daily life looks like, what their interactions, their social interactions look like, and possibly include something that they are not very comfortable with and they don't really like about their daily life. So there's you know, a war far away and it's impacting home, but they don't want to get involved with it. So they're staying at home, focusing on their farmland, doing their daily life thing, and uh, being with those that they love about. It's also a great opportunity to make them more rounded and 3D of a three-dimensional character by giving them some internal struggles or some false beliefs or some 
something that makes them more real than just someone dragging a plow through a field. After we get to meet the protagonist in the beginning, your next beat, which comes pretty rapid fire afterwards, is going to be your call to adventure. This is going to be the thing that shatters the world of the ordinary world of your protagonist. This is the war landing on their doorstep. This is someone showing up and saying, you are the only person that can solve this problem and you have to come with me. You have to do this. It can come in the form of a mentor. It can come in the form of an action. It can come in the form of being sent on a quest or, you know, someone being kidnapped and they have to go off and deal with it. It has to be a big enough event that cannot be solved on its own. And the protagonist has to be the one that needs to be able to solve it. So when you're writing this, you need to factor these things in. Again, building the three-dimensionality of your character is the why and the how that they're the ones that have to solve this issue. Well, when this issue does come, because we've seen that they're happy in their ordinary world, the next beat of your story is going to be the refusal of the call. This is where they put the brakes in, they dig in their heels and say, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm retired, I don't care, I don't want to do this, I'm staying here, I'm comfortable, there's no adventuring for me. This is the Hobbit saying, I don't care what you have come to me with, I am happy. Thank you for being here. Goodbye. And they refuse the call. And this is where you want to continue to increase the stakes of your story. So if they ref they can refuse the call more than once, it doesn't have to be just a one-time refusal. But each time they refuse, the tension and the stakes has to be raised so that it becomes harder and harder for them to say no. And their hand starts to get kind of forced. While they're in this being as stubborn as a donkey and not wanting to do anything, then you enter into the aspect or the beat of meeting the mentor. This is where the mentor comes in and talks to your protagonist spends time with them, possibly trains them, gives them new knowledge, new materials, weapons, things they can work with, or convinces them to come out of retirement, convinces them that they actually do have the abilities and trains them and guides them along the way to make them know that they actually do have the ability to complete this task because no one else can complete it for them. They have to be the one to do this. So after some work and some mentoring and whatever else needs to be done and some training, then there comes the point where they're crossing the first threshold. This can sometimes come as a sudden spike in events. Uh, you know, if we have the war was encroaching and you really need to go and deal with this. No, I don't want to. They go through the mentoring and then the war is literally coming into their farm. They have no choice. They have to go in. This piece is happening that's pushing them across the threshold and they have to enter into the second act. And this brings us to the end of the first act. One small note I will bring on this is there is also something that's called the willing hero. So it's a hero that goes through all those same steps, but instead of them refusing the call, they're excited. They want to do it, but there is something that's blocking them. They're too weak. They're too small. The army is full. They don't want you to come along. There's something that's preventing them from striking off in this adventure that they want to. And that's where the mentor's position changes to help guide them and help build a path for them to get into the adventure. But in this, typically we're going to be talking about the unwilling hero who needs the mentor to sit them down and give them a talking to. So they cross the first threshold. They step out of the ordinary world into act two and into the new world. This second portion of the act structure is called the initiation. And this section has a lot to it. This should be about 50% of your story. Because as Travis said, your protagonist has just left the Shire. They are off to go and deal with the problem, whether they like it or not. So the first thing that happens after initiation, after they enter this act, is the 
tests allies and enemies. So this is where your hero is going to encounter a villainous concept or an antagonist or something along those lines that is going to cause problems. This is where they're going to be tested in one way or another. And it's where most of their allies are going to show up in one way or another. After this has all happened, they've collected their party. You are getting into the approach to the inmost caves. So what you mean by that is that they are approaching the major challenge, a big scary thing. It doesn't mean that this is where your climax happens because this is not, but it is where a major challenge does happen. So if we're looking at things like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, this is where, you know, you're in the, you know, Casa Doom or, you know, they're rescuing Leia, those kinds of things. This is where the approach is happening. The approach is where bigger problems than the tests that the uh, protagonists had been previously facing. So after that, you get the ordeal. So this should be at about the middle of your story where your hero is has entered this special world that is different than their ordinary world. This is the war that Travis was talking about. This is just the major big area where the bulk of your story is happening. And this is where they are confronting their greatest fear or confronts death has an epiphany through this ordeal as, you know, out of the moment of death comes new life or new purpose or something along those lines. And there's another reward that goes with it. So that actually is the next step. And the last step of this 50%, this initiation is the reward. Your hero is going to take possession of something. It could be your MacGuffin that is going to help them defeat the antagonist or whatever it is, but they are coming out of that ordeal. They get a reward for it, but something has been achieved. This is something that your hero gets to start feeling good about themselves with. But there's also the possibility of losing this reward, this treasure, this feeling that you want to make sure the reader understands that this is not a permanent situation that your protagonist, your hero is in. So Act 3 is considered the return. It is about 25% of the novel that or story that you're writing. You'll find that it also has the least amount of beats. But as soon as you cross over into Act 3, you come face to face with the road back. This is where the hero is not fully out of the woods yet. They're uh, starting to, to understand the consequences of confronting the dark forces they had to deal with during the ordeal, which was back in Act 2. The hero is generally also being pursued during the road back by some vengeful forces you know a lot of times this is where you'll get some really good chase scenes that you'll you'll find in you know where the forces of evil are chasing them back or for instance darth vader's trying to stop luke from saving the princess and them escaping from the death star this is generally when the hero is transformed from the moments that happened in previous beats they have to confront this before they get them back to the ordinary world the next beat in this third act is called the resurrection. During the resurrection, our protagonist is purified by this last sacrifice that they have to endure. You know, it's another moment of death and rebirth, but on a more higher, complete level. 
The last beat within this structure, this last act, is the return with the elixir. This is where the hero returns home finally or continues the journey, but he's bearing some sort of treasure or you know elixir that you are expecting him to actually get throughout the entire story. They're changed from this moment finally, and they're now entering in the ordinary world once again, but again, changed from where they were. And then on a slightly different topic, we're going to take a brief break to talk about our next book of the month, which is going to be I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. And the reason we chose this book is because our next topic is all about tropes, good tropes, bad tropes, ugly tropes. We are going to be discussing all of them. And I am very excited for everyone to get the chance to read this, especially if your only interaction with I Am Legend was the movie. And I can't wait to talk to you guys about it. This is a book I'm kind of excited about. I've never read it. So I've always wanted to, but I, the only time I've ever seen it, any version has been has been the movie with Will Smith. It's going to be a fun to read. Yeah, I gotta say, I'm very excited to read this book because from the way LJ has described it and discussed the twists and the turns and the fact that it apparently uses tropes so well uh, i'm really excited to see what this book is about so now that we've discussed what the hero's journey actually is and the 12 steps the react plot structure that it fits into what are the pros and cons would you say of the hero's journey structure so once you know it it becomes a little bit easier to predict what the heck is going to happen in a story so that is a bit of a downside if you're just watching something for pleasure when you know exactly where it's going as soon as there is a farm boy who says that he is not going to do the thing you know that he is absolutely going to end up doing the thing and going on the journey and how it's going to look by the time you get to the end. But the beautiful thing with it is that it is so universally well known. There are so many stories that use it. When you look at like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or, you know, one of my my favorite new books, the Devabod trilogy, they all have this these story beats, but they all do it in a slightly different way that is is exciting. And there is something to be said about a reliable plot structure and knowing what you're getting in for so that you just can read and enjoy comfortably. I agree. The cons, it kind of does give away the game and a lot of stuff, but it also gives you an opportunity to practice your craft and break down where the stories are coming. When you understand what the journey is and what the beats are, it allows you to break down different things and gives you a new level of enjoyment and depth of enjoyment when you're looking at something because you can then go back for a second watch or even in the first watch if you've got the brain power to enjoy and analyze at the same time and see, did they hit the beats? When did they hit the beats? Because the thing to remember for this is this is not a copy and paste fill in the blank story structure. This is a structure that has been honed and time honored and used for, for a very long time. And these beats land at these points because that's what works. That's what the audience grabs onto. That's what carries people through. But that doesn't mean that if you just throw words on a paper and say that this is, I follow the beats, that you're going to be successful. You still have to challenge yourself you still have to create three-dimensional characters you still have to create interesting storylines you still have to create new challenges and new tests and allies and so it's your entire story so it's kind of the concept of making an omelet you can make an omelet you break eggs you put in the ingredients you have the spices and you cook it on the stove there is a core principle of what an omelet is however using a story structure like this gives you the core principle but you need to add in your own ingredients so use your own spice use your own ingredients and use these as generalized guideposts along the way for your story. But if you follow these beats, the reader is going to be comfortable and the reader is going to know what is happening and not feel out of sorts. 
And I think as an as a newer author, right, you know, using a structure like this gives you, like you said, a familiar formula for you to follow, right? If you haven't done this before, and you kind of go off, there are many other structures that you might actually be following. And there's a lot of other structures that are out there that you could use as an example. But again, for someone who might be deciding to jump into this career or even just write a short story, having some sort of structure like this to give them those guidelines kind of helps you along. In the end, you know, you then can make it your own. Well, and it's it's easy to kind of get overwhelmed when you start looking at plot structure templates. And especially when you look at something like the hero's journey and you start looking at these names for things, you know, oh, they have to approach the inmost cave. What does that mean? It's just, they have to overcome something personal and problematic. So it doesn't have to be your biggest, you know, encounter, but you need to have something somewhere before that big encounter to help endear your reader to your story and to make sure that the reader feels how high the stakes are, you know, returning with the elixir at the end. Okay, maybe, you know, your story doesn't have your hero going and fetching something. That's okay. They still have to go back to some kind of ordinary world, somewhere comfortable at the end of your story and have a change because this is their journey. This is both a plot structure and a character growth guide. So even if you don't hit all of the plot beats, you do need to hit your character development beats. So you want each of the main character develop points, which are things like meeting the mentor, crossing the threshold, your tests, your ordeal, your reward, your resurrection, and your return. All are the main character moments of your story. And those are the beats you want to have. And some of this you're going to just hit on unconsciously because of the fact that this is such a universal thing. There's a lot of it that will just come organically if you let it. So you don't, I would say, don't panic if you're writing your story and you're like, I don't see any of these beats here. How do I find it? You probably do. You're going to be okay. (laughs) And that's something to remember too, that all these beats aren't necessarily chapters. They're just beats in the story. You can have one beat spread out over two chapters. You can have two beats within one chapter. And with, like we've said, this is taking your protagonist and turning them into the hero that they become at the end. They can return to the ordinary world as a changed person, or they can choose to not. You know what? I'm not going to go back home. I'm changed. I'm bigger than what my home was. I'm now going to go to this new place and start my new ordinary world. So we've gone over the pros and the cons of the hero's journey structure and how you can use it. And if you have anything that you find we missed as a pro or a con, or if you have any thoughts that you want to share on the hero's journey, by all means, let us know, leave a comment and let us know what your thoughts are. Now that we've gone over what the hero's journey is, we say that it's this concept that many stories use. It's been used for a very long time. So what are some examples of the hero's journey? What can we rely on? One that I like to go back to that I refer to a lot when I talk to people is actually an example of the willing hero. And that is, if to make it simple and not go into all the canon, if you just look at the very first Captain America, the first Avenger movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we have Steve Rogers is a very willing hero, but he's too small. He's scrawny and he is constantly getting rejected from joining the army which is the thing in his ordinary world that he's not happy with. There is a war breaking out, so he wants to go do something, but he cannot do that because he doesn't meet the requirements. So that's where the mentor comes in and says, let me help you. I'm going to give you new powers. I'm going to give you power, abilities, train you, and then you will be able to do what you want to do. And he crosses the threshold into the extraordinary world. 
My favorite example now is probably the Devabad trilogy because you have Mahari, who is this con artist, basically, on the streets of Cairo, who thinks she's, you know, very simple and her life is a challenge, but she's smart enough to handle it. No changes ongoing. And then she makes a mistake, ends up summoning a djinn and ends up on the hit list of several ifrits. And then that means that she has to go on this journey with the djinn to take her to the only place in the world she's going to be safe. And then that is where she finds out she is a little bit more extraordinary than she thought. And she's now in this magical place where she is a major political figure, which she's never been. And it's very exciting to watch that hero's journey and see where she ends up at the end of all of it, especially when you consider the entirety of the trilogy. Yeah, I mean, a, another good example, well, I mean, I, I write kids books. So one of the things I've listened, my, my son listened to has been the Chronicles of Narnia, right? And in, the interesting part about that is that you have a willing participant at, in Lucy who crosses through the wardrobe in the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, right? I mean, there's multiple books in here and they all kind of go back and forth as far as their journeys and their evolution. But when you look at that Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, you have Lucy who's going through and willingly going and accepting the call to go into Narnia and help out Mr. Thomas and come back. And then you have her siblings who do not believe that what she's saying is real and are kind of thrusted into the situation where Edmund goes through and he meets up with the White Witch who kind of tempts him to the darker side of this. And he goes through this turmoil where he's betraying his brothers and sisters to bring them back to the White Witch, where they all eventually come together again as the willing participant. And I guess at some point Edmund as well is more willing because he stepped into this world and where his two older siblings are kind of unwilling at first but then grasp onto the concept that they are here to help make a change and a difference and in the end they do right Uh, and but then they're thrust back after years of growing up in Narnia as kings and queens back into themselves as a kid into their ordinary world fully changed and you could see that they're fully changed because in Prince Caspian right you could see that they're wanting to get back to them they remember their lives as 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 adults living in this magical world and they they don't want to stay within this period of time as a kid anymore. Also in the fact that it's also during World War II, this is when they shipped all the kids to the countryside. Of course, they don't want to be within that type of situation. It's one of my favorite ones and ones I like to let my son listen to. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, actually, it was one of my, like, I both loved it and hated it as a kid because I loved the idea of being able to go off and be in this magical place and, you know, becoming a ruler and all of those things. And then the fact that they go back. Oh, yeah. Every time just broke my heart, especially as a kid doing me like, why would you ever do that? Especially since, you know, arguably, as you said, like when they are spending their entire life in Narnia, they've created a new ordinary world. You know, they defeated the White Witch and they became kings and queens. And then that was the start of a new ordinary world where life just goes back to normal, the new normal. And they end up now when they go back to England, starting all over again with a different kind of journey. Since now yeah. they're, they've lost the ordinary world they used to have and are now in a different special world, which is hard and sucks and heartbreaking, but also an excellent use of the hero's journey, as you said. 
Well, it's interesting at the end too, even if you look at Prince Caspian or even at the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, at the end of both of those books, right, your heroes are also forbidden to come back. They're forced to go back to the ordinary world. Like the two older siblings, who I can't remember their names right off the bat, they can no longer come back to Narnia after Prince Caspian. And the same thing after Voyages of the Dawn Treader. Like Lucy and Edmund go back with their cousin now, who is younger. And after that, neither of them, they've grown up to the point where they can no longer go back to this world you know so now they're thrust back into the ordinary world after having several adventures and being changed mentally and physically by what's happened to them the adventures they've had but now they fully aware they're back into the plain world and it's a bit heartbreaking you're right you've gone on this adventure in these amazing lands and oh, i'm so sorry you're too old to go back it's bullshit that's bullshit <laughs> so sorry kids you can't go back anymore that's it. it is heartbreaking, but that's a fantastic example. And I love the fact that we all pulled out examples that weren't the typical Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or something like that. I will say, though, if your son really enjoys the Chronicles of Narnia, be very careful because a good friend of mine and I really enjoyed the books as well. And we may or may not have broken a hole through the back of his wardrobe. Well, thankfully, oh, no. we don't have wardrobes. We only have closets. So if I see him going upstairs with a shovel and a <laughs> hammer, I know, I know that I should be like, put down the tools. No breaking holes in the walls, right? So that would yeah. be bad. Yeah, no, that's that's a definitely one. So take a look at the media that you're taking in. If you're reading books, if you're watching movies, if you're watching a show, a series, whatever it is, and try to pull apart the hero's journey. It can be tricky at first, but the more you do it, the easier it's going to become. And you'll see how this storyline works. And then there's so many other storylines. There's Freytag's Pyramid. There's In Meteor Res. There's the three-act story structure, the five-act story structure. There's the story circle. There's so many different story structures out there that once you kind of get a grasp of the hero's journey, dig into some of the other ones. See what else is out there. And uh, you might just find a story that you're writing may not fit into the hero's journey but it may incidentally be following a different story structure that you're not aware of any final thoughts on the hero's journey i think we pretty well covered it I agree well your homework for this month is read a book and try to find the tropes involved in it uh, you can use an audiobook you can also use a movie or something else that you like uh, or when you're reading i am legend try to find all the tropes that you can find in i am legend because it is a very very tropey book so with that, thank you very much to my co-host for being here. I'm excited to be going on this scribe's journey with you both. And with that, go sharpen your quill and get back to writing. <laughs>